welcome to the Vitality Coach Podcast with the mojo maker and host, Nikki Fogden-Moore, the Vitality Expert, dedicated to helping you be the CEO of your life and your business with special industry and life-leading guests. Top tips on how you can create that magic blend of healthy, wealthy, and wise for CEOs, entrepreneurs, founders, and people who do things with life. Hi guys, welcome back to the Mojo Maker podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Fogden-Moore, and I just have to say the next interview is one with a very special man in my life. It is my father, Trevor Thomas Alfred Fogden. I made him sit down for an interview. We grabbed a beer, we had a chat. I wanted you to listen to this remarkable individual born in 1929. Uh, He's going to be 90 this year and I have so much love for him, but I also have an enormous amount of respect. So when you want to ask me why I can work 18, 20 hour days consecutively and what I'm doing, it's because this young man has helped create um, someone with a titanium spirit and that is Cassie the Labrador sneezing in the background so I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I did interview my dad it got a bit emotional at the end because I love him so much and I hope that you will love him just as much as I do welcome to the show Trevor Thomas Alfred Compton I want to say welcome to my show Trevor well that's very kind of you Nikki Trevor Thomas Alfred Fogden uh, 89 years old, uh, born in Taihapi. Born in Otaki. Oh, Otaki. I got that wrong. Gosh, I should know that. Uh, auctioneer, stockman, farmer, father, husband, good mate, loyal to the bone, the most hardworking man I think I've ever met. Well, it's also a, a jockey. Yeah, the... Oh, a jockey. You're a horse trainer. And a clerk of the course. Clerk of the course. What else did you do? Well, I've ridden in a few races and... Uh, Rode a driver's horse once in the 2,000 metres and came last. You rode a driver's horse, yep. A very kind-hearted horse, let all the others go first. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're going to just talk about life, Dad, today. Well, that sounds interesting, Nick. Yeah, and I just think it's how fabulous it is that you and I get to hang out and um, and chat about the you know all great things that have given me and all of us Fogden kids, the tenacity and work ethic and the pride that we have in what we do. So well, it's been a great you. pleasure. It's been a great pleasure. I've had more fun than you have, I think. So I can't tell you all the stories because... Uh, What's a PG show? <laughs> some can't be repeated. That's right. <laughs> and there are some things we just can't put on the show because it's... Oh, uh, absolutely yeah, great. It's still a general show. But listen, Dad, you tell us a little bit about growing up uh, in Otaki in 19... 19- 1929? 1929, yes. I was, uh, when I was born, I weighed uh, 10 and a half pounds. Okay, good information. And uh, I don't remember the occasion, but <laughs> they told me I was very well behaved. And then the first thing I ever won was a baby show. And that was, uh, I don't remember that either, but I have got some photos. I believe it was me in the in the mayoress's arms. Right, so you, you remember being in a woman's arms as soon as oh, you were yes, born, and that I wasn't don't, your mum. She wasn't very happy with her frock afterwards. But, uh, no, and then I, I remember my young days very well because I was uh, fully occupied at home, loved the livestock and always had a dog. But how many children were in your family? Nine in our family and I was halfway. Halfway, nine kids. Nine 
nine children. Nine children. Nine children. And um, and you lived on what sort of farm? We had a dairy farm. A dairy farm. And we moved to those, in those days, we milked the cows by hand. So am I allowed to tell the story where it was those days where you were out in the shed and your brother and you were playing in the shed you weren't supposed to and he put an axe through your calf muscle and you didn't want to tell your dad so you turned up to the kitchen table and all of you kids were sitting around at dinner that's until right. your sister screamed because she saw half your calf muscle. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and then the, the doctor came to stitch it up at home right? in the sun porch and all the other kids gathered round, seemed to be enjoying it and they were so good the doctor gave them all a lolly but didn't give me one. Oh, so you had the injury and, and had to... But yeah, so I had why, the stitches, I had the Were you lollies. too scared to tell your dad that you, because you had an injury or because it was just, you guys shouldn't have been playing with an axe? I think it was, uh, I shouldn't have been playing with the axe. Right. I was yeah. hiding it. Right. And so you've got some great stories for them. But one of the things that you've always told me, Dad, is you're very, very fond of all the, the memories. You know, you're a people person. You and I are the same. We talk to anyone. We're, yes. very inter- we're genuinely interested in people. Yeah, I enjoy other people. Yeah. And Have you enjoy- always been that way? Yes, always been that way. And you, you spoke about you've got some great old school friends that had some fantastic names. Oh, well, yes, some of the names uh, I've forgotten now, but some very unusual names like Sonny Enocker. Sonny Enocker. Peter Farfeta. Peter Farfeta. <laughs> and, uh, or oh, quite a few names. But was there really, really, were you telling me Porkies, or was there really a kid at your school that was called Henry Ramsbottom? Oh, yes, that's great. That's correct. Yes. Real. So if yeah, we had to look real. that up, that's nice true. Nice bloke, yeah. All the children were good then, you know, all friends. Yeah. Yeah. So you went on and, you know, you had to finish your education early in those days because you had to work on the farm. So what age did you finish school, Dad? I finished school. I went to high school or Horfner College for a few years and I wasn't doing much good there. But uh, I never enjoyed school very much, but I really enjoyed um, meeting people and getting out. So my older brother left home on the farm and so someone had to help my father. So I took my older brother's place, probably at the age of about 17 Right. 16 or 17. And from there on, I worked until I was about 19. Then my young brother came on. He did the job, so I had to leave. So I I went and got a job as a stock agent. A stock agent. Your very first job, off the farm, out of school, was a stock agent. So just describe, we've got 85 countries listening. Not everyone's going to understand. What does a stock agent do? In the 1950, in the 1940s, it would have been right. It would have been in the late 40s, late 40s. Yes, I had no knowledge whatsoever of bookwork or that type of thing, but I had a very good stock knowledge. Yeah. So I, uh, I didn't know how to get the job. And I'd by never... stock, we mean livestock, like livestock, cattle, yes, and, that's sheep right. and cattle and, and sheep, cattle and sheep, and yeah. livestock. Mm-hmm. And so I heard of a, the general manager of the farmers' crop distributing company in. Fiewling, which is uh, North Island, and I made my way there with a bit of police escort and found the the office. Can I ask why you had a police escort to your first job? Well, I didn't know my way. I had to stop at every police station. I'd never been there before. Right. And and just maybe because in New Zealand people don't understand that in those days there were no phones, no maps, no kind of Wi-Fi. You really just had to go from town to town. Oh, absolutely. Yes, you couldn't never had a phone on the car. And did you go by car? What car were you driving? I had an old car. Yes, I'd had an old car that I uh, did up and used that until I uh, got the job and then I, they gave me a uh, quite an interesting story. The manager said that I, w- I wouldn't qualify for the job because I had no office experience. 
And I said, well, Mr. Fowler was his name, Coulson Fowler, lovely fellow, only had one leg. But uh, I, he, he turned me down and I was very disheartened. So I went down the stairs and I went back and asked him one more time if he would just give me a job on the road dealing with livestock. Right. And he said, well, yes, you sound very keen, son. Uh, I can give you a job, but I can't pay you more than an office boy's wage. And I said, well, if it, be, I'll work for nothing for 12 months just to get started. For 12 months you were going to take no pay? I offered to no work pay. for nothing. And he said, we, we can't allow you to do that. So they bought me an old car and uh, said, go for it. Wow. And so I used to get up very early in the morning before the farmers sometimes. And uh, I would take a load of uh, newspapers and fresh bread. And I became quite popular in that direction. And later on, I started selling some livestock, dairy cows, sheep and bulls, and a bit of stud stock. And... Uh, where do you think you got this initiative to build these relationships and even think of as a young man with no formal training that you just were willing to take anything possible and you weren't going to say no, you're going to take no for an answer. And then not only did you get the job, but you invested your own money into bread and newspapers to build relationships with uh, the farmers and the stock managers and things along the road. That's right. Did your dad teach you that? I think it just came automatically. My father was... Uh been through a couple of wars and he was a very understanding sort of a person. He taught me all about livestock and how to ride and we're very, a very close family and hardworking family Yeah, and it all paid dividends. So any effort was no effort really because we were used to hard work. I can remember one of my earliest memories of you dad is sitting on top sort of a reddish horse while you're doing the fencing and we mum used to make morning tea so we'd go out and I was sitting in front of you and you always said to me the most important thing in business is relationships. Absolutely. Because you used to know all the stock hands, all the farm hands. You all automatically the, got to know them, yeah. got their trust, and they trusted you. And most of our deals in those days was done with a handshake. Yep. There was no signing of paper, even up to a, a mob of a thousand sheep, sheep or cattle. It was all, all done with a handshake. Trust. And never let down. Never let down. Total so, trust. So you did the Stockman jobs, but you know you became a bit of a celebrity over the years. Well, I've, so I've some been looking at the me. clippings. I've seen you cut ribbons with Miss New Zealand and all sorts of things. And not only did the, you also married a very glamorous woman, my mother. Yes. But um, <laughs> but just you went from this beautiful job. Um, what what fast tracked you, Dad? Just run us through very quickly. You went. You did that. You got your feet under the ladder. You became. Everybody wanted new Trevor Fogden by that stage, at a very well, young age. They they did at that stage, and I I loved the stock game, but uh, in those days it was very much a closed circuit to get in the higher level of management, or because uh, the management seemed to pass through families, and I couldn't see myself getting any further than where I'd got. Right. So I left and had a, had a, a crack at real estate. And after six months working for uh, one chap, I um, asked him for a rise. And he said, you're getting too much now. And I said, well, I'm gone. You get somebody else. So I applied for my own real estate license. And uh, he came to the court and objected. And the judge said, well, uh, I won't mention his name, Mr. So-and-so. Uh, if he's good enough to manage for you, I think he's good enough to have his own license license granted 
So that, and what year was that, Dad? Can it you was remember? 1950. No. 1950. 1962. No, 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 1958. Oh, okay. Around 58. I've okay. just forgotten now. Right. And so did you have um, any, you know, you were a, a strapping young individual, you know, strong, fit, healthy, yes. tenacious. Still the same, by the way, at 89. Did you have kids by that stage? Did I have... have any children by that stage? Oh, yes. Oh, so along the way, oh, you yes. happened to have five children by this point. Well, not by that point, but as time went on with the lovely wife I had. And, uh, yep. Yep. and we, as a family, we had a, a very good country life as well, as well as the real estate. So where were you living at that time, Dad? At that stage, I was living uh, on the Great North Road. In Whanganui? In Whanganui. And uh, we named the place. I was talking to a very good friend of mine that spoke very good Maori. And I said, I'd like to name my place. He said, what do you want to call it? I said, well, what's, what's your native word for go ahead, thrust and go ahead? And he said, Wakataitai uh, is the word. So we called the property Wakataitai. You know, it's, it's kind of, isn't it funny if you look back, Dad, and you're telling the story, I always wonder, you know, sometimes when I do interviews now, where I get this enormous drive from. I don't really have to look far because, you know, sometimes when I come home and we're hanging out, you're going, why are you working so hard? I'm like, well, you did exactly the same. Well, you know, it's built into our DNA because we just love what we do. So you've always loved what you've done. But not only that, you also became an auctioneer during this time. Oh, yes. yes. So you were a real estate, licensed real estate agent. You well, prior to that, I was head auctioneer in Taihapi. So you, but how did you become an auctioneer all of a sudden? Well, I, how I became an auctioneer, I was in the fueling sale yards, which is a big centre, mm-hmm. and they were bringing cows and selling them individually, dairy cows. And the auctioneer, a fellow called Max Stewart, was a top man from Australia, and he uh, wasn't on the job when the cattle came in to be sold, and somebody had to sell them. So I was only the office clerk at the time, so uh, he walked through the door just as, when it was time to start. He said, carry on, son. So I sold my first cow that day and I, I sold the rest and became head auctioneer in three weeks' time. So do you think that your ability to be learn and adapt skills and your pure interest in livestock and just, you've got some great talents. You've definitely got the gift of the gab. Um, you know, we you know, the one thing that you and I do very well, we talk for a living, don't we, Dad? We just well, no one true. can shut us up. And talk to everybody. And we, but we, that's because we genuinely are interested. Do Absolutely. you think the genuine nature of your relationships that you built? Because don't forget there were, during your real estate times, you would come across people that had lost their partners and they'd been in that, that house their whole entire lives. So you had a lot of empathy in your heart and even though you were a shrewd businessman you were always empathetic and you were always kind that's what well, i remember everyone saying about you you need those people and i've always found over my time if you're talking to somebody talk about them never talk about yourself and it's uh, very interesting if you listen to people and talk about them mm-hmm. uh, you make friendship a lot easier and, you know, Dad, I know that doing this interview, um, by the way, this mic's great, so you can just relax and, and you don't have to um, to exert yourself too much. But one of the interesting things that I love about your stories was our childhood. Because, you know, you came from a family that really didn't have much. You had 11 of you, nine children. Um, 
you've had to mostly do everything by hand. So you wanted to give our family the very best of everything, the best education. You have you built everything yourself. I remember going fencing with you, driving oh, yes, a tractor. Oh, yes, I remember those when, days. What, what would you say your earliest memory of you and I together? I would think uh, the earliest days was uh, probably uh, round stock. And when I was fencing, you used to come down and we were always lighting fires. Oh, yes. We, we were, used to yeah. love lighting fires. And uh, you and young Andrew were uh, always boiling the billy for me and helping. Not always helpful, but trying to help. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great having your company and it made it easy for me, having the children around. Yeah, that was definitely, you know, there's something wholesome about being a farm kid, right? Because you, you, you're really active and you're always outside and, I have and to agree. we learnt so much. So what were the challenges of, of running a business and being an entrepreneur in the 1950s and 60s when you were pioneering things? I mean, you were the first person to have a neon sign, weren't you? Yes, they tried to stop me putting it up and uh, I applied to the council for a permit and uh, I did a scale drawing. It only looked about two foot high, but it was actually 30 foot high when I was up. <laughs> <laughs> the council didn't read the printing correctly. All oh, right. So they tried to make me pull it down, but it was in 30 ton of concrete and it wasn't possible. Oh, we've got to have a picture of that of that somewhere, I'm sure, to show that. So, yes, um, somewhere. And, and what would you say if you were to look back, Dad? Um, you know, one of the things that I remember being a young young knickknack in our in our homes was not only the duck shoot season all those things that come with farming um but also scoring your snooker games you know your mateship your mateship with with dunk and and with with the birches and some of the fondue parties and things that were had then your mateship was really special you and your friends had an extraordinary bond well i think we, in those days it was much stronger than these days there's a lot more loyalty about and uh, there was trust and you trusted everybody and you we all seemed to be friends yeah and we mixed with those that had something in common some people played snooker and others went to the rugby and uh, some played tennis and so, you remember the wanganui men's club so yes. on, a, on a i remember with mum on a friday we'd drop you off and you'd go and you'd have you do your dude thing you'd go and you'd chat with men to men and you would just have there were no women allowed then. No, it was a purely a gentleman's, uh, gentleman's club. Yeah, but it was a, you know, you drank your whiskey and you talked about farming. Oh, yes, in moderation. I don't think anyone ever stepped the mark. We might have stayed a bit longer. I'm not sure because I do remember a story where someone put a frozen kangaroo in someone's front seat at some point. So I think oh. there were I think there were some shenanigans going on. But Well, no, I was very friendly with the general manager of the, uh, well, I knew him as a youngster as well, of the meat company here. And the club one night, I also said goodbye, and away we went, probably nine or ten o'clock. And I went to get in the car, and there was a, a kangaroo, and it was sitting in the driver's seat, hanging onto the wheel. Of your car? In my car. He'd put it in there, he'd frozen it. <laughs> and I could see the joke straight away, so I didn't know what to do with this kangaroo. It was still frozen. So I took it uh, out the country, not far from where we lived at Westmere. We had 160 acres there. And my solicitor lived not far around the corner, about a mile. So I propped this uh, frozen kangaroo, I propped it up in his cattle stop. And when he came home, he, 
he went inside and got the rifle and shot it. Because <laughs> he thought it was, but it was still frozen. He didn't know it was. Yeah. Uh, and I think in those days, you know, farming and living so far out, having a rifle or, you know, we really, that was part of living life, it was. wasn't it? Because yes, you it was had accepted. to, you survived off the land. I can remember we had a lot of pet lambs that sometimes would Always go on had a long extended yep. holidays. I can remember Andy Lamb not really ever coming back and us having a roast dinner one Sunday. So, I mean, oh, as a, yeah. you know, you were very good at kind of telling stories around that. And, and these beautiful things as well is that um, around the dining room table, everyone pitching in. We had a very large family. I come from six, six children. Everybody our, pulled their weight. Everyone pulled their weight. But, but all of us, what is it that you think mum and you did that make, we all lived and worked overseas. Every single one of the children that you've had, the Fogdens, have all immediately being hard workers, we've all lived for a long time overseas. What do you think you instilled in us that made us so independent? I can't really answer that uh, correctly, but except that it's been uh, it's been a wonderful uh, wonderful to see the different directions that you've gone, and uh, it's given us great pleasure to see you advance rather than just stay in the hometown. Uh, and you didn't have a lot of opportunities; you made it yourselves. We didn't arrange it for you, and I think it was a great, uh, a great help to us, great reward. Do you think that having a good education and good values have set us all up to be uh, humble and empathetic? I know you've you've certainly given me the gift of genuine connection for people, um, and I think I can remember as a kid, you know, I had asthma. I did. There was a lot of allergies in our family. We weren't close to anything, but I can always remember that our house was full of people. And our house was full of international people because, you know, Susie and Shane and John and Andrew, my older brothers and sisters, every Christmas would have different nationalities staying with us. That's great. And it's been very exciting. And some of those friendships have lasted a long time, which has been a great asset to us. So yeah. we've met a lot of wonderful people through, through, through our children. And you and Mum have done extensive travel as well as worked really hard. What would you say... Uh, looking back on everything now, um, Dad, that you would be your proudest moments? Well, I had a lot of proud moments with you children, uh, but I've never sort of uh, felt I was any better than anyone else. I felt I was just doing what one should do. Yeah. So it was a personal achievement and uh, I needed to needed to make progress because I had no help from anywhere else and uh, the gates were wide open. And we enjoyed a wonderful family life and fortunately good health. Yeah, we're very fortunate we heal mm. fast, don't we? So I think that, you know, one of the other, I think we've got to share one of your stories somehow. Like you're a man of stories. We've had many campfires. We've had, you've built, you've, you've hand built pools. You've hand built tennis courts. You've renovated houses. I remember coming home from university once and you'd, you'd moved. So I went to the wrong address. I'll never forget that. I remember jumping out of the pantry and surprising mum. We, we were a family of, of international idiots, aren't we? In so, some ways, when so you look back. Yes. Do you think that a sense of humour has helped you deal with the extreme responsibilities that you've had as a, as a father, as a partner, and as someone who's felt that you just have to keep going? I've, I've just enjoyed it. I've never felt forced to do anything. I've just... In, we just enjoyed doing it and making a step further and watching and and making the best of every big opportunity that came along. 
And what would you say now you're you're here um, and obviously with mum and the new Labrador Cassie because you miss Roxy, so you decide oh, yes. to adopt Always Cassie. Always had a dog, yes. Always had a dog. What would be the things that you'd hoped when you and mum got together and decided to, you know, create this family and, and build an extended family around John and Paula and give that love, what did you hope that you would achieve out of out of your lives for for each other and for yourselves? That's not easy to answer, but uh, I think things just happened automatically with the younger ones and the older ones getting together and they all combined so well. I can't remember any disturbances or dislikes and I think that made us very happy. And um, a couple of things that I have a bone to pick with you about. Because John flew helicopters and I was only teeny tiny, I thought that Father Christmas came in a helicopter, so that was... uh, something I had to discover. <laughs> uh, I also don't know if you know this, but when Andrew was teaching me to ride the bike, he pushed me into the rose bush. So no, I didn't hear about no, that. It <laughs> definitely happened. And also, I now know that it wasn't Father Christmas that ate the cake at the bottom of the chimney. It was you, because remember I discovered that. I, I must have got <laughs> caught because I wouldn't tell a lie. <laughs> yeah. So I have to say, uh, you know, City, I'm not going to reveal my age, but I'm certainly, uh, you know, I'm very, very proud to be your daughter. I'm, I don't even, like, this is an emotional recording for me too, because I love you very much. Oh. And I'm so thankful for the upbringing that you and mum have given us. And there's just this complete wide-eyed wonder every day I wake up as if I was five. Like, you've just given us this ability to look at the world in technicolor and I think that if any parent can look back and share the stories that you've shared with us over the years and around the fires and the fact that you had a a, a boat and you took us water skiing and you couldn't swim the fact that you took us trout fishing and you couldn't swim and I can remember you slipping between the boat one time um, I'll never forget you diving in the pool, and we've, everyone talks about that. The You've fact got a you very good swim. memory, Nikki. Um, you know, the just the friendships that you've made over the years, the loyalty that you have for your friends, and the love that you have, and the pure, genuine soul that you are. I'm just very proud to be your daughter, and I hope that that every day that you sit with a beer in the garage in your in your beautifully organised work shed, that you know that every one of us is trying to live a legacy that you've created and passed that on and it's given us the tenacity, the work ethic, the the values that make me really proud to be a little human and that's because of what you and mum have done. Well we're going to get great enjoyment from what you've just said ourselves. We think of you all every day and very very proud indeed of what you've achieved and uh, certainly outstrip myself. Well, that, I'm not sure that's possible with all your accolades, um, but I, but Dad, I'm just going to stay right there while you're there because I, it's really important that we capture a little bit of this. Um, so I'm just going to make sure that uh, I get this, you and I, you know, on camera because it's, you know, we never know. We all live in these different continents and we live in different worlds, but we've always managed to keep connected. And, and I know that you don't, you can boil an egg, but you don't know how to use a computer. No, I've never <laughs> never needed one. And uh, I, I think I'm a little bit too old to learn now. It's got too advanced for me, but I seem to get along right without it. And I want to thank you for always making my friends feel welcome 
and um, and for giving me my love of nature uh, and my philosophy, fresh air, fresh food, fresh perspective. And also I hope that I can give tenfold back to you what you've given to us and that I, I'm going to enjoy sharing the show with you and and going to see Uncle Gordon around oh, the yes, corner soon um, and everything else. So we want to wrap this up. So one one of your mantras, you know when I call you sometimes and go, hey, Dad, how you going? And you go, extra. You always have these fantastic always expressions. Always extra. Yep. Well, when I hear from you, it's always a thrill. So what's what's one last closing comment you would want? You know, we're going out. This is on my show. There's everyone will probably be listening going, this is so cool. This is the Trevor that, that Nikki always talks about. What's one message you'd like to give anyone listening, whether they're a leader or they've got kids of their own or they're starting their business or what is it? What would be your one parting piece of knowledge? Always listen. Here comes a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Cassie. The Labrador's just walked in. Always listen. Yes, and just life is what you make it. And enjoy regularity if you can and good food and family life. That's great. And enjoy your neighbours. Well, Dad, thank you. Trevor Thomas Alfred Fogden. It is the 8th of April, 2019. Uh, this year you will be 90. To me, you're still 40 years old. You're still the dad that put me on the front of his saddle, on the horse fencing, that let me drive the tractor with blocks on it, um, that used to pick me up from boarding school and I'd write secret letters to. So That's I could right. have extra tuck I've shop money. I've still got money. the letters, Nikki. Yep. So I just want to say thank you for making me the person that I am today. And it's just such a privilege to be able to share a little bit, a tinsy-wincy little bit of your magic. Oh, well... well my doctor told me to drink plenty, so I'll have a beer with you, Nick. Okay, cheers, Dad. Love you. And the effort that I put in is very much combined. Yes. We'll have to have it's Annie a one on off. the show. Yep. But she's petting the dog at the moment. Yep. Well, very good health, Nick. Great health future. Health happiness, Dad. Love you very much. Love you, Anne. <laughs> Love you, Annie. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we'd love your review on iTunes. Or you can jump online to thevitalitycoach.com.au. For more from Nikki, to sign up for the Monday Mojo and the Vitality Coach TV on YouTube.